Good morning or evening, St. Peter's Fireside. It's good to be here again to speak with you, and at the very least, it's getting easier to stare at Parker while talking to you via social distance. Uh, my name is Phil Pearson, and I'm kind of a guest speaker from time to time, so uh, welcome to St. Peter's once again. Over the past month here at St. Peter's, we've been kind of doing some random sermons throughout the month of August with a focus on giving practices and comfort in amongst this time. So when Alistair asked me if I was able to speak here at St. Pete's again and kind of gave me free reign to speak on anything, more I was frozen in fear as he opened up the floodgates. So I began to think back in all the sermons I've ever preached and reading through my old documents and trying to think of something that would be interesting during this time. And I remembered a sermon I preached about five years ago, and it stuck with me more than most of my sermons have. It was originally in amongst a, ser a series on parables and paradoxes. And I want to share it with you today because it's brought me hope in difficult times and also a push during those easy times. This is a sermon on parables, pearls, and paradoxes. My old university preaching professor always said that good communicators are able to condense their whole talk, their whole sermon, into one main point, one thing that they're really trying to say throughout all of their words. They may have different points or pillars, stories within their talks, but all of them are meant to enhance and drive the main thing, the big idea. After each person's sermon in the class, he would ask the class, in one sentence, what is the main idea, the essential thing to be judged? And if we couldn't summarize it within one sentence, he would say that that wasn't a good talk, a good sermon. And at first, I really struggled with this idea because I thought I was filled with so many great ideas that limiting me down in a single sermon to one main idea would just be disrespectful to everyone. But after that first sermon, which I believe was somehow confusedly on the book of Isaiah, I changed my tune. One idea was more than enough. And in fact, I really came to love it. I loved the challenge of every sermon, every book, every TED Talk, trying to find the single main idea. What is the one thing the preacher is trying to say? So when I was tasked with preaching about parables, I found myself caught in a bit of a trap. For years, I've been trying to synthesize and tease out single clear ideas from scripture. I would be attracted to passages and stories and ideas that were able to be easily distilled. And for that exact reason, I unintentionally stayed away from Jesus's primary mode of teaching, parables. The parables, to some extent, are forms of anti-communication. Instead of being told to make things clear and easy to understand, Jesus admits that they're told to confuse and distract. Jesus takes the ordinary and within it hides pieces of the divine. But in amongst that, he assaults our senses in the process, and he hides many truths all at once. Peter Rollins, one of my favorite writers, he describes parables as being discourses that send us off course. They're stories that require us to come back to again and again and again. And though they may seem simple, they are anything but. In order to learn their meanings, they require work and time to understand, and often they have more than one idea hidden within them. 
Now I bring this up right off the bat to tell you that today I'm going to go against my old professor's teachings. I do not have a single clear thesis or big idea. I have two. This sermon is instead going to end with a paradox. And a paradox based on two different parables. As you heard read at the beginning, we have two parables we're dealing with that both lead us to contrasting answers about the kingdom of heaven. Between these two parables exists a paradox about the kingdom. Between them exist contradictory truths that both remain true. So first let's dive in and read these parables one more time. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything and he, everything he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. In the book of Matthew, Jesus tells these two parables, the pearl and the treasure, in a chapter filled with parables about the kingdom of heaven. But these two parables come completely unprovoked, or at least no question is recorded within the Gospels that prompts them. They come in the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew, which is this long, long chapter filled with several different parables. Many unprovoked, but many just to answer other questions. He tells the parable of the sower and the weeds, of the mustard seed, and for most of them, he later goes and explains them to his disciples because his disciples admittedly don't know what's going on. But these two parables he tells without zero preface or explanation. So let's do a little bit of work. Let's break these parables down and ask what they might mean, what they might be about. At first glance, they almost seem identical, right? A person finds a thing of great value, sells everything they have for the thing of great value, buys the thing, end of story. The only main differences are the object itself, pearls and treasure. One sells everything in joy, while the other we're not sure of the emotional state. One buys just the object, while the other buys the whole land around the object. And one was already looking, while the other randomly stumbles across it. And one, in really an act of duplicity, rehides the object after it's found. But as I said, Jesus never explains these parables. He never even really makes mention of them again throughout any of the Gospels. He simply tells them, leaves them by the side of the road, and walks away. A bit of a mystery. So, what's really going on in these seemingly identical stories, and why tell it twice? I don't think they have singular answers, and so I will simply offer some of my own, as well as a couple other writers' reflections. First, let's wrestle with what the stories themselves may be pointing to. Let's look first at the treasure. The treasure is hidden in a field. Uh, a side note on this, one thing that many of the commentators said as I read through them is that this was actually a common practice for people to hide treasure on their land. Instead of putting your money in a bank, if you had things of great value, you would hide it in your land, and then later on you would go get it. But sometimes a person would die before they told their family that they had hidden it in a barn or a cave. And the problem is that then after that person would die, the family would sell part of their land and 
they would find some treasure on it. This actually almost happened to my own family once. Uh, my grandpa Bill on my mom's side, he came from Germany between the First and Second World War. He moved to Canada, ultimately made his way to Great Windsor, Ontario, and there he got married and built his own house. And on his deathbed, he said to my parents, there's money in the banana stand. Well, not the banana stand. It was actually in the house. There was treasure. There was money hidden throughout all the house. In He made a fake brick, filled it with money, and then put it in the wall. He told them to rip up the carpet in the master bedroom, and they found hundreds and hundreds of $100 bills or bills all below the carpet. And he hid this money throughout the whole house. Anyways, a guy finds treasure in the field he goes and rehides it, and then he sells everything, and he buys the whole field. And why the whole field? Is he trying to throw off suspicion? Does he think there might be even more treasure? And I mean, if we're to take a lesson from this, is Jesus telling us to be sneaky and duplicitous? If you find something of great value and worth, rehide it, don't tell anyone about it, and come get it later? Have you ever been in a store and found like the lost, the last copy of something? Be like, I'm going to hide it here and come back, but nobody will find it in the meantime. And was the field really worth everything he had? Was he so poor that only a little money would buy it? Or was he so wealthy that the land was expensive and he had to sell everything he had for it? And let's ask some questions of the pearl for a moment, right? The pearl takes on the same narrative flow. Except this time it starts off with a person who's already searching for pearls. They're on the move. They're a merchant. They seem to be looking for the best to buy. And several commentators all, of course, say that pearls were extremely precious. So if you're a person that's regularly searching for treasure and pearls, you must be wealthy. But then this person finds a pearl of immensely great wealth and he sells everything in order to have it. These are both strange endings because at the end, both individuals are left with nothing but their objects. One is left in a field with treasure and one just with a pearl. So let me pose a question to you. At the end of these two stories, are the individuals richer or poorer than they were at the start? Because I think this might be what Jesus is playing at a bit. He's playing a little bit of sleight of hand with our minds, pointing us in one direction while we miss the true nature. Peter Rollins, one of my favorite writers, he tells a parable around this parable. He takes the biblical story and adds to it a little bit. He says this, Jesus tells the parable of the pearl and a man hears it and thinks to himself, the kingdom of heaven must be so valuable that only the rich can grasp it. But a woman in the crowd hears it and understands something deeper about it. And Jesus asks her, what have you heard? To which she responds, all I know is that if this kingdom you speak of is like the priceless pearl, then the sacrifice needed in order to grasp it will not make one richer, but rather reduce the one they have to absolute poverty. For you are saying that you must give up everything, yet the pearl itself is worth nothing unless you find someone to buy it. And if you do find someone, you will no longer have it. The thing of great value, the treasure or the pearl, becomes a paradox, you could say. It is both priceless and worthless to the highest extreme, to the highest and lowest extremes. It is only valuable in any economic form if it can be sold again. But if kept, it becomes worthless. 
One does not become richer for having it. Instead, one keeps themselves poor by retaining it. And if the kingdom of heaven is like this treasure or this pearl, then it is priceless and worthless. In a way, you could say that the kingdom doesn't operate in modes of power how other kingdoms do. It subverts them. One needs to give up all for it to make space for the field, but once they have it, they realize the whole system is flawed. Could it be that this story is telling us that the kingdom of heaven will ask everything of you, yet leave you poorer by any form of power, that it operates by different rules? And if that's the case, why go after it at all? To which I think the answer is, because it's beautiful. But we will only be able to find its beauty once we have given up everything we have for it, once it's all that we have. Its true value can only be found once its external value has been removed. Could it be that Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom that he is going to be king over, this kingdom that is against the Roman Empire and truly against all empires, a kingdom that doesn't operate in normal modes of power, a kingdom of love, grace, mercy, faithfulness, and justice, a kingdom that invites in the poor, the lost, the lonely, this kingdom will not make you richer but it will ask everything from you. Is this what Jesus is getting at? That's the, par the paradox inside. But I see another between them, something more interesting, more powerful, you could say. As I've said multiple times, it would seem as though these stories are almost the exact same. But there is something important in that Jesus tells it twice. That question kept coming into my mind. Why tell the same story twice? Why tell it in a way that, does it, that doesn't reveal something new? But did you notice right at the start of the parables that Jesus highlights two different things? Jesus tells both parables back to back, but he highlights that the kingdom of heaven is like something different each time. Both start off with the words, the kingdom of heaven is like. But in the first one, he says that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Then he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching. Treasure doesn't move. Treasure waits to be found. Treasure demands to be sought out. Merchants move. They search high and low. They go into every shop, bartering, haggling, constantly looking for the best deal. If I'm right, then these parables present a paradox about the kingdom. It is both waiting to be discovered, hidden in places we would never expect, unmoving until found, and yet at the same time it is on the move, searching for, ready to buy when it gets the chance. At the beginning, I said I had two main ideas, two ideas that contradict each other. So here they are. I am convinced that Jesus is trying to say to us that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that he ushered in in his death and resurrection is like treasure buried in the ground. It is mysterious and difficult to find, but when you encounter it, it will ask everything of you, your time, your energy, your finances. You will have to sell all that you have in order to grasp it. 
but not because it will make you richer, not because it will make your life better or easier, but because the kingdom of heaven is beautiful. Again, let me say, I am convinced that Jesus is trying to tell us that his kingdom is like a merchant on the move, a merchant searching for fine and precious pearls, looking high and low, that when the kingdom finds these pearls, it will sell all that it has, even its own life, to buy them. I'm convinced that Jesus is trying to tell us that you are that pearl. This idea has stuck with me for years. Some days I need to remind myself that the kingdom of heaven asks everything of me, that I need to search for it, to work for it, to look high and low, and other days I need to remind myself that God is looking for me that he has sold everything, even his own son, for me. Not because I would make him richer, but because he thinks I'm beautiful. Those who have ears, let them hear what they need to hear. Go in peace.